baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm your host, Heather Vale. Today, I'm speaking with Stacy Lockhart, CEO of Hope Link of Southern Nevada, which is holding its second annual Links to Hope Golf Classic in March. Stacy's a seasoned nonprofit executive who has guided Hope Link through incredible growth since she came on board in 2019. She became CEO after serving for several years as executive director. Before that, she was executive director of The Shade Tree, where she spearheaded a shelter renovation and helped the organization become financially stable. Stacy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see you again, or at least hear you again. Yeah, exactly. You too. So for those who aren't familiar with Hope Link of Southern Nevada, what kind of work does Hope Link do? Hopefully, first and foremost, is in the, you could say, business of serving the community. Our number one focus is homelessness prevention. That means helping people stay in their homes when an unforeseen financial crisis occurs. That could be a health event. And we know most bankruptcies in the U.S. are caused by medical emergencies or situations. It could be a job loss. It could be the loss of a spouse and income being cut, whatever that is. We don't want people to end up on the street or in shelters. So rent assistance, mortgage assistance, utility assistance, food pantry, all of that being um, homelessness prevention, uh, which is our number one focus. Okay. And then are there also services for people who are unfortunately already experiencing homelessness? Absolutely. We have what we call rapid rehousing programs, and we are part of the team for Operation Home with Clark County. We have grant funds that come from various sources and private charitable investments that allow us to help somebody who is experiencing homelessness with deposit, with rent, with utilities, and through our CareerLink program that we founded a year and a half ago, become interview-ready, employed, connected to really great employers in the Valley that have a culture of caring about their employees that pay a livable wage. So we go at it from both directions. Number one, our biggest, you know, I say our solution to homelessness is let's not let it happen to begin with. Keep Mm -hmm. people in their homes where they're safe and secure and can rebound quicker. But when somebody is homeless, and for instance, when we run into a mom and kids that are living in their car, let's get them out of that car. Let's get them into emergency shelter, which for us is working with local hotels. And let's move them into permanent housing, provide them with wraparound services and the resources they need to get back on their feet and self-sufficient and financially stable as quickly as possible. Nice. Okay. When was the organization first founded? 1991. So just over 30 years. And how has the homeless situation in the Valley changed in that time? Well, going back, you know, the beginning of time, there there have been people who are unhoused. You know, Nevada, over time, we started serving Henderson and Boulder City when we were founded. 
But because the homeless population has grown and because it has become such a, I don't want to say issue, but well, an important problem to help solve in our community, mm-hmm. we have expanded our services throughout the entire valley. Last year, we served um, 10,000 households and provided 88,000 individual services to people in this valley. So hopefully keeps growing. Three and a half years ago, we had 14 employees and now we have 50. Uh, We now have two offices and three outreach locations. We keep growing because the need in this valley keeps growing for Hope Link and the services and programs that we actually provide. How would you say Hope Link compares to other nonprofits in the valley who are serving the homeless community or preventing homelessness? I would have to say we have a very unique approach. You know, it's not just about housing. Getting a roof over somebody's head or keeping a roof over their head is just the first step in helping them, you know, kind of rebuild and and get back on their feet. We believe in intensive case management, which means that we have a team of, you know, um, social workers with master degrees who really work directly with the client and their family to identify all the different services and resources that they need. And then they reach out into the community. We collaborate with over 40 other nonprofits in the community. So we don't try and do everything. We do what we're best at. And then we bring together a team that actually wrap around that client. And through each individual organization's specialty, they, they really end up with an entire team that is there to help them and support them. And I think that might be a little different than how some of their organizations operate. And we are a handout. We are never a handout. Our, our clients are expected to put forth effort to have that desire and that initiative and motivation to really want to change their situation. And if they're willing to do their part, we will do everything we can to help them get there um, as, as fast as they can. Nice. Okay. So as I mentioned, the Links to Hope Golf Classic is coming up in March. And I love the name of this event because your website is Link to Hope. And then because it's golf, it's Links to Hope. And I love plays on words. <laughs> so I just love the event just because. Okay, that was my idea. Thank you. I was kind of like, <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I think it's great. So just because of the name, this is probably the best golf tournament in town all year. But tell us more about it. Absolutely. Thank you. This is our second year. Last year, we actually partnered with another organization and really we were the beneficiary of some funds. But once I put a lot of time and work into it and and then the day of it, I realized, I was like, you know what? This isn't as hard as people would make you think. I think we'll just do it on our own. And so this is our first year really as HopeLink, solely planning, coordinating, hosting the hosting classic. It is our goal to turn this into our annual signature fundraising event that will continue to grow and grow and grow over years to raise what I call unrestricted dollars. Those dollars are where we can use them in areas of greatest need, whether it be operational salaries, paying the light bill, or many times being able to help somebody that may not fit particularly into one of our grant funding sources, because everything has restriction and rules. 
I love being able to tell my staff, I don't care if they don't fit in that. We have private money. Help them anyway. Hmm. We really try not to turn anyone away. And that's why I spend so much time out in the community building relationships and attracting resources and great people to the organization. Because you know what? We don't want to have to turn anybody away. If somebody needs help, there is hope link and there's hope right here for them. So it's going to be a great day. We have tons of sponsors on board. I'm so excited. People have really stepped right up. So it's the golf. There's an awards banquet. Uh, we have a great raffle that day as well. People can sign up in foursomes, twosomes, singles, right through our website, linktohope.org. There is a handful of sponsorships left, mostly key sponsorships. But if there's a business out there, maybe doesn't have a huge marketing budget, but they want to get their logo and their and a couple of their people and their brand in front of our golfers and have the opportunity to interact with them, the T-Sign may be exactly the uh, perfect opportunity for them. So I just encourage everybody to hop on board, either come and golf sponsor or donate a raffle item certificate or a basket. Um, something that can help us really, you know, give everybody a great time, but raise some significant funds from this that is, is going to ensure that, you know, there's families out there that aren't going to go homeless. Yeah, absolutely. Who are some of the sponsors who have been helping make it happen so far? Oh, see, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> so I can tell you our title sponsor is the amazing Gene Haas Foundation. They became involved with HopeLink during COVID. With their first donation, they sent us $10,000 in the mail with a letter telling us to keep up the good work we were doing. That relationship has grown by leaps and bounds. They they contributed over 100000 to HopeLink last year. And I know what they're donating this year, but nobody gets to know until the golf classic. <laughs> we have Misty Chadwick. Uh, you may recognize the name, Allstate um, Insurance Agency. We have Country Financial and Craig and Pike, Endunamo uh, Consulting. Finley Automotive Group is a big sponsor. And Finley Honda Henderson is actually our hole-in-one sponsor. Foresight Companies, Hash House of Go-Go, Inspired Closets, Lexicon Bank, Littler Law Group, The M Resort, SoExo Liquor Retailers, Thrive and Financial. And the list is still growing. I had a great call just a little while ago with Solap, Solar Company, and they are on board now as well. So it it just keeps uh, it keeps going. Keep, um, oh, and Nevada State Bank is on board. Yeah, and there's a few more still uh, finalizing things and hopping on board. But uh, I, I can't tell you how incredible the response has been from the business community. Yeah, that's fantastic. So we mentioned it's in March, but what are the details of the when and the where? So it is on Friday, March 10th. Last year, we did it the last I think, Friday of February, and it was still a little chilly. So we had an ice delay mm. or frost, they say. So we bumped it just, um, we just bumped it two weeks. So it, the shotgun started at 8 a.m. Uh, registration starts at 6.30. It is being held at Camara Golf Club which is in what people used to call Tuscany, just off of Lake Mead here in Henderson, across Boulder Highway, back um, kind of in the Cadence neighborhood. 
beautiful course. And in fact, a couple of guys involved it last week and, and put up an actual um, Facebook post about what a great course it is, how much fun they had. Challenging enough for somebody who's a little more serious and enjoyable enough for somebody who just wants to come out and have a great time. The thing I'd like to impress is this is about having a great time. I keep telling people this is kind of a an Adam Sandler, Happy Gilmore event. <laughs> you know, come and don't be too serious. Our committee chair for the event is the CEO and uh, president of Sky Spirits and Imported Wines. So, you know, there's liquor distribution people getting involved. There could be some tasting out on the holes. And it, it's just going to be a really good time for a good cause. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun. So you mentioned the website. Is that where people can sign up to take part as a golfer or a sponsor? Absolutely. So right on our homepage, there's a there's a little red bar. It says Golf Classic. They'll click on that. It'll take them to the page with all of the information, all the sponsors listed. And there they can click on the registration to register golfers. Or they can click on the um, the link for the sponsorship opportunities so they can see what is still available uh, for sponsorship and then contact information's right there, um, who to reach out to if interested in a in a sponsorship. Or you know what? Everybody kind of has my email in the world anyway. So <laughs> you can even contact me directly at Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y, at link, L-I-N-K, the numeral two, hope, H-O-P-E, dot org. And I'm sure that you will, uh, you'll share it in your post of this interview, won't you? Yes, of course. See, I knew you. <laughs> <laughs> and then what if people want to find out more about what Hope Link is doing in general or the various ways they can help out, whether that's volunteering or donating or getting involved in some other way? You know, our, our website, linktohope.org is a great place to start. But we also are on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Hope Link of Southern Nevada. We do a lot of, you know, a lot of sharing information there, um, as well as, you know, client stories, um, reviews from clients about how awesome our staff was working with them. And anybody at any time can reach out to me. I love meeting people. So, you know, if you want to know more and you want to get together, uh, shoot me an email or connect with me on uh, LinkedIn. We can set up a Zoom. We can set up coffee. I can shoot over our annual report ahead of time to look at. And and you know what? We can sit down and have a conversation. And I, I could talk all day. So I, <laughs> I love sharing all the amazing things that our team here does. Nice. Okay. So once again, the second annual Links to Hope Golf Classic is taking place at Camara Golf Club in Henderson on Friday, March 10th. There's an 8 a.m. shotgun start. 6.30 a.m. is when the registration starts. And you can sign up to be a golfer or a tea sponsor if you want to at linktohope.org. That's link, the number two, hope.org, linktohope.org. Or email Stacy if you want more information or if you want to be a volunteer, Stacy at linktohope.org, S-T-A-C-E-Y at link to number two, hope.org, or find them on LinkedIn or Facebook at Hope Link of Southern Nevada.
And wow, it sounds like a really great golf tournament. As I mentioned, I love the name. It's so much fun. And obviously, it's a serious issue that you're tackling where the funds are going. But if people can have fun while they're doing good, that's always a great thing. So, Stacy, I want to thank you so much for your time and letting us know about the golf tournament coming up. And I hope a lot of listeners come out and take part. And are you looking for volunteers for the tournament as well? If people are interested in volunteering, absolutely. We've been um, one of our other staff on the committee is coordinating all of our volunteers. They can just reach out to me as well. I'll connect them with Don and he's getting everybody put into their, you know, kind of their spots, depending on their, you know, availability during the day. And Heather, you know what? I hope you come out. Even if you just come out during the awards banquet in the afternoon, come out and hang out. And uh, people can come to the banquet alone. It's $40 just for a banquet ticket if they don't have time to golf that day, but they want to come out for a while and see everybody and and participate in at least that part because we're going to have live entertainment there. So everybody go to the website, check out the Links to Hope Golf Classic page. All the information's there for you. And I am here to answer any questions and to assist you with getting signed up uh, with a sponsorship or even as a golfer. Awesome. That sounds great. So once again, the website is linktohope.org. Link, the number two, hope.org. That's where you can find everything. And the Links to Hope Golf Classic is taking place on Friday, March the 10th. Stacy, thanks again so much. It's been great talking to you. And I love what you guys are doing. And this sounds like a fantastic event as well. So I hope everyone can come out, as you mentioned, just for the awards banquet in the afternoon for $40 if you can't do the whole golf thing. But the golf sounds like a lot of fun as well. So thanks again for your time, Stacy. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for the opportunity to share this awesome event with the world. I appreciate you, Heather. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I wasn't prepared, but I knew I had to be strong. When I was told about John's injury, I was in complete shock. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. For thousands of severely injured veterans, everyday life is filled with barriers. It was really the the little things throughout the house. Counters that you can't roll up to. I had to drag my wheelchair down steps. I want to help, but he is so determined. At Homes for Our Troops, we build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access, roll-in showers, and automatic door openers that allow them to function independently and focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. This house has given me my family back. To learn more, visit hfotusa.org. This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm Heather Vale. Joining me today is Lee Purvis, Senior Director of Healthcare Costs and Access in AARP's Public Policy Institute. Lee has testified before Congress on behalf of AARP and speaks frequently on a wide variety of prescription drug-related issues. Brand name drug prices have grown faster than general inflation for more than a decade, but last year, historic legislation was passed that will lower the prices of prescription drugs and put money back in the pockets of seniors. Lee, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So what is this historic legislation and what changes will Medicare participants start to see this year as a result? 
So this is all part of a new law that was passed in late summer of last year, and it includes a lot of provisions that will help Medicare beneficiaries, three of which have already started. The first is that Medicare beneficiaries can now get recommended vaccines for free. The second is that Medicare beneficiaries and prescription drug plans now have a limit on their monthly costs for insulin of $35. And the final change that just started is that drug companies are now going to be penalized for increasing their prices faster than inflation, which as we know has been a pretty common practice by many brand name drug companies. And this will hopefully discourage them from taking those big price increases in the future. Yeah, that's fantastic. So limiting the cost on insulin to $35, that sounds fantastic. Can you put that into perspective? What has it been in the past to get insulin? So previously, Medicare beneficiaries were paying an average of just over $50 for an insulin prescription. And some of them were paying upwards of $100 for their insulin prescriptions. So the $35 limit on cost sharing is a real meaningful improvement for people who are taking insulin and will hopefully make it easier for them to access the drug that they need. Yeah, that's great news. So how many people in Nevada are on Medicare and use insulin? There are total about 550,000 people on Medicare and of them about 22,000 are using insulin. Wow, that's a lot. It absolutely is, which is why we were so excited about that improvement, because it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. So all those people who now have access to lower cost insulin, what will that mean to them on a day to day basis when they need this to manage their health? This really speaks to what we've been hearing from a lot of our members who are having to make those tough decisions between paying for the drugs that they need and paying for other important things like their rent or their food. And the hope and expectation is that by limiting the costs for insulin, that will help all of those people who are facing those tough decisions, which frankly, we don't think anyone should have to make. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned that three of the changes from the legislation last summer have already kicked in. What are some of the other changes we'll start to see in the future? And when can we expect them to start? Yeah, there are definitely some big changes coming soon. One of the most important is that Medicare is going to start phasing in a limitation on how much people have to pay every year on their prescription drugs um, when they're enrolled in a prescription drug plan. And by 2025, that annual limit will be $2,000 per year, which is an incredible improvement because we know that many, many people were paying upwards of $10,000 per year for the prescription drugs. So that's an important new protection. And another really big important change is that Medicare is now going to be able to negotiate the prices of popular prescription drugs. They're going to start with 10 and we'll see that list this fall and the negotiated prices will become available in 2026, but they'll continue adding new drugs every year. And we could see as many as 60 drugs with negotiated prices by 2030. Nice, okay. Now, typically when you think of prices being lowered, then, you know, that means that the cost of that actual product was lowered. So is it a matter of the prescription drugs were overpriced to begin with, or is the rest of that money being subsidized now in a different way? That's a really good question. Um, and there are a lot of very smart people who are trying to decide whether prescription drug prices are justified. A lot of the protections that are included in this new law addressed cost sharing, in which case the price may not necessarily be affected. However, when it comes to 
penalizing drug companies that increase their prices faster than inflation and negotiation, that is attacking kind of the heart of the problem, which is the price itself. So that's why we're so happy, frankly, with this new law, because it addresses both sides of the coin, both the costs that people are paying at the pharmacy counter and then the underlying prices that are driving a lot of what we're seeing. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of great news. So where can our listeners go to learn more about these issues and find out some of the details about the legislation and what it's going to mean to them in the future? People who want to learn more can go to aarp.org slash rx. Okay, nice. aarp.org slash rx is the website to go to, aarp.org slash rx. And Lee, I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing this news with us. I'm sure a lot of people were not aware and everything you said was absolutely positive and looks like a bright future. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. At four in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full-time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost six million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey, and we can fulfill that journey at the same time that we are helping our loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me today is Michael D. Smith, CEO of AmeriCorps, the Federal Agency for National Service and Volunteerism. Each year, the agency places more than 250,000 AmeriCorps members in intensive service roles and empowers millions more to serve as long-term, short-term, or one-time volunteers. And every two years, they release a civic engagement and volunteering survey, ranking all 50 states for their volunteering and engagement rates. This year's research highlights which states volunteered the most during the global pandemic. Michael, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So I touched on it briefly, but what exactly does AmeriCorps do? So AmeriCorps is the federal agency for volunteering and service. This year is actually our 30th birthday. Uh, and we were established with the simple concept of how could you use the power 
of service to really play this instrumental role for nonprofit organizations, for cities uh, that wanted people of all ages who who could give back and, and make that difference for, for communities in, in need. As you mentioned, we have more than 200,000 AmeriCorps members and AmeriCorps senior volunteers. Uh, they're actually serving in nearly 40,000 locations all, all across the country. Uh, and in addition to moving uh, more than a billion dollars a year to support nonprofit organizations across the country and, and having this important support, we're also charged with the national call to service. So we run, for instance, the Martin Luther King Day of Service. Uh, we run the 9-11 Day of Service. We provide volunteer opportunity searching on, on our website. And we also do this biannual uh, research with the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, where we take a deeper dive in looking at the state of volunteering and civic life in America. So what is the current state of volunteerism in America? You know, so this this research uh, provided some cause for concern, and it also provided uh, some, some cause to celebrate. Uh, the study looked at two different angles. Uh, one, it looked at formal volunteering rates, people that say they volunteer with a nonprofit organization on a regular basis, but it also looked at the informal volunteering rate, that, that neighbor helping neighbor volunteering. You, you may not know about this in Vegas, but when I was young, I had to shovel the walk uh, for, for, for my neighbor. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I'm from Canada, so I do recall that. <laughs> you, you remember what that's like, but it might yeah. be you know, running to the grocery store. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, this this period covered the pandemic. And so what we saw uh, was while there was a dip in the number of Americans who said that they volunteered with a nonprofit organization on a regular basis, we did see that informal volunteering rate stayed strong and steady. Hmm. Okay. What do you attribute that to? Is it just because everything was locked down and people felt the need to stay home and quarantine? You know, I, I was a little worried about what the data was going to show. You know, so many nonprofit organizations either had to close their doors during the pandemic or they had to change the way that they do business. You know, a lot of folks volunteer with schools and schools were, were shut down for, for so long. A lot of seniors who wanted to volunteer might have been told, no, please stay home because we're concerned about your safety. So I wasn't completely surprised that we saw a dip, but to see a 7% drop uh, in the rate of Americans who volunteer with a nonprofit organization, we've never seen anything like that. It usually stays steady. So that was something to learn, but I was so uh, beautifully inspired and encouraged to see the data uh, showing what I saw in my own life, that that people did make those grocery store runs. People did set up those learning pods uh, to make sure that children of first responders who had to to go out had a, had a place to safely learn. And, and that work stayed strong and is so important. Where does Nevada fit into the spectrum? So exciting to see that in Nevada, you had about 426,000 people that volunteered formally with nonprofit organizations, uh, which was about 31 million hours of service. Uh, and you had about 36% of, of Nevadans who said that they informally helped others by exchanging favors with their neighbors or doing those sorts of activities that, that I talked about. So no, Nevada certainly has a, a great spirit of service. And I think what this research does, and it, it's so great to look at it, is it gives us an opportunity to learn from other states that are out there to see what they're doing, how they innovated at this moment, and how we can do even more. So what kind of percentile did we get? Are we near the top? Are we in the middle? Are we near the bottom? 
So what we did is we we took an asset view uh, to 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 this study, and we we ranked the the top ten states. And Nevada was not in the top ten states, but the but the numbers were certainly certainly strong. And so as I said, I think this is an opportunity uh, to look at some of the states. Uh, if you if you go to our report and look at formal volunteering, uh, states like Utah and Wyoming and Minnesota, uh, Washington D.C., Kansas, Montana were in in that top ten for for formal volunteering. Uh, Montana, Nebraska, Maine, Iowa, Pennsylvania, and informal volunteering. And so I think it gives an opportunity to to learn what were the resources that were there that that took place, how do we reduce barriers to service, and what can we do uh, to be even stronger? Okay. Now, of course, there's more than one way to support nonprofits and charities. We can give our time, which is volunteering, or we can give money, which is donating. So when the volunteer numbers go down, do you think maybe the donation numbers went up so people weren't volunteering as much, but maybe donating more money? You know, that's a really, that's a really interesting point. And I'll have to, to, to check to see what that correlation looked like. You know, what we do know is Nevadans, Americans are, are generous. Even at this time where people were concerned about their own health and safety while we saw a dip, uh, we certainly saw millions of Americans that, that were still serving. So it was a 7% dip, but that was still uh, 4.1 billion hours in service that, that took place that gave over $122 billion in economic value. So that was still happening. We just need to make sure that this remains a blip because nonprofits depend on volunteers to do their work. And what we found at this point in the pandemic is requests and demands for nonprofit services are higher while the resources are, are, are not keeping pace with the cost that it takes to run a nonprofit. So we need to make sure that we are building back even stronger from this moment to make sure that those individuals continue to serve with nonprofit organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so where can listeners go? You mentioned that they can look at the report. So where can they go to look at the report findings, as well as to learn more about AmeriCorps and maybe even get involved in volunteering through AmeriCorps? Well, we make it very easy. If you go to AmeriCorps.gov, you can read this research in full for those of you that want to go a layer deeper. You can also find uh, opportunities for episodic volunteering if you want to give a couple hours a week. Uh, but maybe you want to become an AmeriCorps member or an AmeriCorps senior volunteer, and you can use our FitFinder tool so you can find out a way to give even more to your community, and you can get a living allowance, and you can get an education award and loan forbearance while you serve either in Nevada or maybe deciding you want to go and serve somewhere else across the country. So for the research, for episodic volunteering, uh, for ways to become an AmeriCorps member, go to AmeriCorps.gov, and we will put you on the right path. All right. Awesome. So once again, the website is AmeriCorps.gov, A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S.gov, AmeriCorps.gov. You can find the report findings there. You can also sign up as a member. You can find volunteering opportunities here at home or across the country. And it's all there at AmeriCorps.gov. And Michael, I want to thank you so much for being here. It's been really enlightening finding out the state of volunteerism in the country and opportunities for people. Anyone that listens to the show is interested in helping out with nonprofits and charities. So if they weren't aware of AmeriCorps before, now they are. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing? 
or your daughter's first birthday party. You planned it with such dedication that instead of the first, it felt like our quince's. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan you can make. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. One in four Americans today are living with a disability. I'm one of them. I care deeply about creating a world we can all fully participate in, free from stigma, misperceptions, and barriers. And we've got a trusted ally on our side, an organization we can rely on, Easter Seals. Rooted in communities nationwide, Easter Seals helps empower millions of people, regardless of age or disability, through its life-changing services and powerful advocacy. Today and every day, Easter Seals is leading the way to full equity, inclusion, and access to healthcare, employment, and education for people with disabilities, families, and communities. That's my Easter Seals. Make it yours. Learn more and get involved at EasterSeals.com. This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm your host, Heather Vale. Joining me today is Harold Odie Van Opdorp, retired colonel of the Marine Corps. Odie served 30 years in the Marine Corps and is now Chief Operating Officer of the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation, or MCSF. Recently, the MCSF received a $65 million gift, the largest in its 60-year history, from Fred Smith, Marine Corps veteran and founder and chairman of FedEx. Odie, thank you so much for being here today. Heather, thanks for having me. So what was it like being a Marine for 30 years? Uh, it was a labor of love. Come into the Marine Corps, it wasn't the thing I was going to do out of high school, but it was first a way to pay for college. But then, oddly enough, it was like a duck to water. And I, I enjoyed a lot of it, and as did my family. What's the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation? The Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation is the nation's oldest, longest provider of need-based scholarships to the children of Marines. Uh, we, our primary goal is to honor the service and sacrifice of Marines. And the primary way we do that is through the issuing of scholarships to the children of Marines and tailors that serve with Marines. Okay. What did it mean to receive such a huge gift from the founder of FedEx? What it means, Heather, is that for uh, an awful long time in the future, we are going to be able to continue our mission of providing the financial assistance to the children of Marines that's necessary so they can achieve their hopes and dreams that uh, is facilitated by a college education. It also means that we can stand up the Brown Harder Navy Scholarship Foundation to do the same thing for the children of sailors. So you said for a long time in the future, how long do you expect this to last and continue providing scholarships? The part of the proceeds for Mr. Smith will go into our permanent endowment, so those will provide scholarships in perpetuity. And then we will use some of the additional funding in the best way that the CEO and President Ted Probert believes we can to shore up our infrastructure. But 
the large portion of the investment will generate revenue that will allow us to provide scholarships in perpetuity. Who exactly are MCSF's scholarship recipients? Our scholarship recipients, Heather, are a wonderful pool of young men and women who have grown up in Marine families, have learned the values of service and, and the core values of the Marine Corps of Honor, Courage, and Commitment, and have then decided to pursue post-secondary education uh, goals, either through attending a four-year school or university or achieving a professional certification through a career and technical education program. Now, you mentioned that some of the money is going to the Brown-Hudner Navy Scholarship Foundation. Who's that named after? The Brown-Hudner Navy Scholarship Foundation is named after Jesse Brown and Tom Hudner, two Navy pilots that flew in the time of the Korean War. Notably, Jesse Brown is the first African-American naval aviator to ever serve in the Navy. He is paired with Tom Hudner, a Naval Academy graduate, and they are celebrated wingmen who supported the Marines in the Chosen Reservoir. So the Brown Hunter Navy Scholarship Foundation, first and foremost, is designed to honor their legacy of sacrifice and service as told in the book called Devotion and also the movie of the same title that Fred Smith has provided financial support to. Okay. So members of the Marine Corps and the Navy are both eligible for scholarships through the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation? That is true. They can both. You can go to mcsf.org to find information out about the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation's awards that we award to the Children of Marines. And then you can also find out about the Brown Hunter Navy Scholarship Foundation as well. Okay. And what's the application process like for those who are eligible? The application process is similar to what uh, Chad will have to go through to apply for other scholarships. Our application window opened on January 1st, and it will remain open until uh, March 1st. And we are accepting applications for both programs. And uh, again, the, the information that we're collecting is really information that helps us establish um, eligibility under our requirements of being the child of Marine, demonstrated financial need, and having a GPA that meets our minimum requirements. So pretty straightforward. Okay. So you mentioned mcsf.org is the website that's for the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation, Mm -hmm. mcsf.org. And what else can listeners learn when they go to that website? They'll learn more about the mission of the Scholarship Foundation. They can look into our, uh, all of our financial reporting is on there, but The most important thing that they can learn about, Heather, is they can learn about our Marine Scholars. Uh, We have wonderful tributes to some of our Marine Scholars that have graduated and gone on to do great things, as well as stories on there about current children of Marines that are receiving uh, scholarships from the Foundation. But that's probably the best thing you can go learn about. If you want to find out why it's important to give the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation, go learn about our students. Nice. Okay. So once again, mcsf.org is the website to go to, mcsf.org. If you want to apply for a scholarship, the deadline is March 1st, and you can do all that on the website. And if you're just interested in what the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation is doing and learning more about the Marine Scholars, you can also do that on the same website, mcsf.org. And Odie, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting everyone know about this incredible opportunity and what it means to the Marines and to the Navy. And I appreciate your time being here. So thank you so much. Heather, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about our programs and know that uh, I appreciate you for all you do to uh, help us spread the word.
My name is Corporal Bradley Joseph Seitz. Jerry Reed. Kate Weber. These are real veterans facing a real challenge. I have PTSD. And I have PTSD. I have PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder can happen to anyone. I was still in a war zone in my mind. But treatment can turn your life around. Treatment has really saved my life. To learn about PTSD and how treatment can help you, call your local VA medical center or visit ptsd.va.gov. Hi, I'm Bob Maxwell, CEO of Voice of the Veteran. In the last year, we have helped secure nearly $4 million in aid and lifetime benefits for veterans. If you're a veteran, call us today at 702-381-2566. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me today is Scott White, author of a new book called The Life is Too Short Guy, Strategies to Make Every Day the Best Day Ever. After spending over a decade in investment banking on Wall Street, Scott took a chance and became an entrepreneur and business builder. Today, he's chairman and CEO of a public real estate company and one of the happiest people you'll ever meet. Scott, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for the invitation, Heather. So what prompted you to write this new book? I've been an incredibly happy, positive person my whole life. And over the last few years, more and more people would say to me, they, they wish they could package up my energy, put it in a box or a jar and, and share it with others. And, and then as I looked around me and observed how much, you know, we, we, we had to deal with COVID, we've dealt with political divide in America, we've dealt with war in Europe. And I look around and I saw a statistic at one point that the University of Chicago public opinion poll about two years ago, said that Americans are more unhappy than they've been in 50 years. In a half a century, Americans are more unhappy than they've been. And I look around, I say, wait a sec, we're living in the greatest country in the world at the greatest time in the evolution of society, of, of humankind. I went on a mission to make the world happier one smile at a time and decided single-handedly, I'm going to approach this to, to spread happiness, spread gratefulness, and more importantly, give people the tools to live a happier, more positive life. What are some of the key principles in the book? Well, the most important underlying principle is attitude is everything, the power of positivity. What, what most people don't realize is how much control you have over your positivity and over your attitude. So about 50% of your, your happiness is predicted by your genetic makeup. So people say, well, you know, I'm naturally happier. I'm, I'm naturally not as happy a person. And I'll give you some credit there because 50% like your hair color or your eye color is predicted by your genetic makeup. However, what's fascinating to me, and I think most people are surprised by this, if I were to ask people, what percent of your happiness do you think is based on your circumstances? You, you get a new car, you get a raise at work, you get a promotion, or maybe something sad, you have to deal with, with a, uh, a death or illness or divorce. How much of that predicts your happiness? And, and it turns out only 10%, and most people are surprised by that. So you take the 50% that's your genetic makeup, you take the 10% that is based on your circumstances. Well, Scott, what about the other 40%? Yeah. Great question. That's the whole point is that 40% of your happiness is predicted by your approach, your view to the world, how you view the world and the, and the circumstances around you. And what I encourage people to do is think about your very first thought of the day. If I were to ask you or anyone, any of your listeners, what was the first thing you thought about today? Most people can't answer that. Most people, I don't know, like I woke up or, or people are like, I woke up and I was tired and it was dark and I didn't feel like getting out of bed. And 
embrace the day, start the day right, open your eyes, be grateful as a roof over your head, be grateful that you're going to maybe whatever job, school, wherever you're going, you have people that love you, you have an opportunity. For me, I was so excited to have a chance to be on your show. And I mean that sincerely, this is a wonderful day for me. And starting with that attitude then sets the roadmap for the day. Doesn't mean things won't go negative, doesn't mean things won't happen to you because that's reality, that's life. But if you start out right, you give yourself the upper hand on having a happier, more fulfilling day. Okay. How does your book and philosophy differ from The Power of Positive Thinking and other books about positivity? There's a couple of things. One, it's a very approachable, practical, story-like book. So it's not an academic work. It is not a, as a number of people that have read it have said to me, you could sit down and, and read this very quickly cover to cover. It is by design intended to reach a very broad audience. I want to make every person in the world happier. And I want to make every person in the world think, you know, if I pick this book up, there are practical tools to take away, which leads to the second thing. It's not philosophical. It's not a sort of pie in the sky. Here's the philosophy and the academic behind it. It's simple things like wake up and, and have the right attitude, like walk around and smile and whistle, like find humor. Find humor as you look around and I give examples of, of maybe some of the worst circumstances you could be in and still finding humor. So the third differentiator, I think, is uh, the, the stories that I tell in that I not only tell my own stories, but I incorporate probably 12 to 15 other people that have had major aha setbacks or aha moments in their life, catastrophic injury, illness, addictions, whatever it is and what their lessons learned are. So I would say this book is very much an approachable, practical, everyone can, should, and want to read it and take away tools that they can implement right now. Smiling isn't that hard. You can do it as you're listening to me right now. <laughs> just smile, literally for, for a few seconds, smile, right? Look, you laugh, you smile. I bet you feel a little bit better than maybe you did a minute ago. Yeah, for sure. All right. Now, you mentioned that there's a lot of negativity in the world. There's negativity on a global scale, on a national scale. There's political divide, social divide, divide by race, gender. And then there's the personal things that are going on in everybody's life. There's, you know, the bills are due, the car broke down, those kind of things. So with all of those things going on, how do you recommend people remain positive in the face of adversity? So, in every fact pattern, there is something positive to take away and immediately start with that positive. Now, look, I know there's reality. So for, for whatever example you gave, the bills are due. So I can't say, well, the bills are due. This is the best day of my life. <laughs> right? I mean, that's not realistic. But what I can say is the bills are due and I'm grateful I'm employed or maybe I'm unemployed, but I'm grateful I have the skills to be reemployed or maybe this is an opportunity for me to find a new job, a new course in life. Maybe it's an opportunity to reflect for a moment on where I'm spending my money. So I can approach this as the bills are due. My life is horrible. I don't know what to do. Or I can approach this and say, look, I have the intellectual ability to figure this out. I have the opportunity to either go to my current job, find a new job, maybe. And I talk about setbacks in life. Maybe the bills are due and I'm not sure how to pay them because I've lost my job or I'm dealing with something in my life. Well, maybe that's the impetus, the aha moment to say, you know what, I'm going to embrace this opportunity, go out and do something new, fun, exciting, exhilarating. I'm going to find my new purpose and, and live a happier, more fulfilling life. Nice. Okay. 
Now, you talk in the book about taking chances, which in your case meant walking away from comfortable jobs. But that's easier said than done when you're talking about leaving security and a safety net behind. So how can we really truly evaluate when it's time to push the limits of our comfort zone? So what I do is I ask people to redefine. So underneath taking a chance are are two words that I think are are horrible words or, or have a horrible connotation. Let's not say horrible words. They have mm-hmm. a horrible connotation and they're risk and fear. We think yeah. risk and fear are bad things. And I tell people to redefine how they think about risk and fear and, and look at what is the worst that could happen if I do X or Y. And, and one of the things I talk about in the book, which was really just eye-opening to me, is uh, I, I refer to another book, a, a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. It was written by a palliative care nurse in Australia, and she lists what people regret as they're kind of on their deathbed. The key takeaway, the, the, the one sentence of what is the biggest regret people have when they're dying, it's the regret of what they didn't do. Mm. So it's not the regret of something they did wrong. It's not the regret of something they did stupid. Let's be honest, we all do dumb things. And we're like, boy, <laughs> I wish I didn't do or say that. That's not what people think about when, when they're in their final days, weeks, whatever, hours of their life, they think about, I wish I had fill in the blank. Today's your day to fill in that blank. Don't wait and look back later and say, I I wish I had called so-and-so. I wish I had taken that job. I wish I had launched that business. I wish I had written that book. I wish I had started exercising. I can go through the litany of things I wish I had. I wish I had. Stop with the excuses. Stop with the over-assessment of fear and risk. Embrace it and take that chance. Because usually, in almost all circumstances, the risk and fear is is over-evaluated in our head and usually isn't as big as we think. Awesome. Okay. All right. So where can listeners go to find out more or even buy the book, The Life is Too Short Guy? The book is available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and wherever books are sold. If your local bookstore doesn't have it, have them order it. You can find more details at my website, lifeistooshortguy.com. Nice. Okay. So once again, the website is lifeistooshortguy.com, lifeistooshortguy.com. You can get the book there. You can find out more about Scott, find out more about the book, the philosophies. And the book is called The Life is Too Short Guy, Strategies to Make Every Day the Best Day Ever. And Scott, I want to thank you so much for being here today and letting us know about your philosophy and your book and It's actually a really fun book, so I recommend it, and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. Have a wonderful day. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. 
The Charles and Phyllis M. Frias Charitable Trust is sponsoring scholarships for students who have overcome challenges and show potential for success. High school seniors can apply for the Freest Legacy Scholarship until January 31st at midnight through the Public Education Foundation, or PEF. Find out more info or start the application process at thepef.org. That's thepef.org. Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada is holding their second annual Trailblaze Challenge presented by Subaru of Las Vegas from February 3rd to 5th. This is a 26.2-mile hike through the Valley of Fire backcountry in Mesquite with the goal of raising $300,000 to grant wishes for children with critical illnesses in Southern Nevada. Sign up or find out more information at wish.org slash snv slash trailblaze. That's wish.org slash snv slash trailblaze. Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising $10,000 for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include Monday, February 6 at 8 p.m., benefiting the Adopt-A-Vet Dental Program, and Monday, February 20th at 8 p.m., benefiting Poor Richard's Players. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. And the second annual Links to Hope Golf Classic to support Hope Link of Southern Nevada is happening Friday, March 10th with an 8 a.m. shotgun start at Camara Golf Club in Henderson. Proceeds go towards Hope Link's mission of preventing homelessness, preserving families, and providing hope. The Golf Classic will also feature friendly competitions, prizes, and an afternoon awards banquet to recognize the day's winners. Sign up to golf, attend the banquet, or become a sponsor at linktohope.org. That's link, the number two, hope.org. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.